in the week when I sent the scripture readings for today to um, the ladies who do our bulletin, they came back and said, two New Testament readings. And I said, yes. Um, the one from the epistle, the letter to the Colossians, which um, Ellen read to us. And the important verse there is probably the place of Jesus Christ in the church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to our first place in everything. Our second reading, brothers and sisters, from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read verses 25 through 42. Part of this reading is, of course, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Listen to God's word for you today. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while tra traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spent. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Grant us this day, O God, not to be overtaken by anxious thoughts that can make us feel that you are not near. Give us the chance to sit at your feet 
to enjoy every word and every musical note that we may, f that we may feel your real presence and in turn live out that presence with our families and our communities, our jobs and our schools. Prepare us as we journey as your people to worship and to obey, to be neighbors, as well as welcome our neighbors. Open our hearts and our minds so that we can understand the fullness of your word. Fill us with the light of your spirit in the name of Christ, the word revealed. Amen. So a few Sundays ago, brothers and sisters, it was Pentecost, and on Pentecost, I said that the Holy Spirit was given to the church not for the benefit of the people who believe in the Christ of God, not for us as church people, but for the sake of those outside the church. The Holy Spirit changes the lives of people who receive the Spirit as gift. And when our lives are changed as we receive the Holy Spirit, those on the outside should benefit by the presence of a church in a local community. On this long stretch after Pentecost, the time in the church here that is known as ordinary time, we learn together more about Christian living, about the way, not that we believe, but about the way that we go out and live in our everyday lives. We as people who, have, uh, who are known as Christians, we who carry the name of Jesus the Christ into our communities, not only when we gather in worship, but especially when we leave from, from here and go to live in a world where people ask many questions, where people have so many concerns that they sometimes miss the God who really cares about them. Because, brothers and sisters, the church is of no benefit to God and to neighbor if our lives do not display that there is a different reality, that there is a different way of living than the way that the world knows so well. So this morning we look at life through the well-known passage from the gospel according to Luke, where a lawyer wanted to challenge Jesus with a question. A question that had to do with what you have to do to inherit eternal life. And the lawyer has a very interesting thinking. On the one hand, he wanted to earn something by doing the right thing. What must I do to inherit eternal life? On the other hand, he recognized that it is about grace. To inherit something, to benefit from a predecessor, a parent, or someone who loves you, to be an heir or an heiress, that is to get something that you didn't work for. And are we so much different from this lawyer in our thinking? We know that we have received grace upon grace from God. And we still want to do, still sometimes feel guilty when we again escape the pressure of our conscience to go and to do something. So when Jesus asked this lawyer, 
what the law said the way of God's people was to be living in the world. Maybe Jesus had in his mind that this lawyer would refer to the Ten Commandments as the law of God. And you all know them from Exodus chapter 20. But this lawyer really knew the, the Torah, the, the Old Testament, the first five books of Moses really well. Because rather than repeating the ten rules, he responded with the summary of the meaning of the law, the one that's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, not with the words of the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And then the lawyer added, and your neighbor as yourself. This is where I think Jesus and the lawyer took away the letter of our legalistic arguments when we think we know what the Bible says and what God would want about current issues like abortion and issues around gender and sexual orientation. Many of the things that we so fiercely defend on the grounds of what the Bible says and the lawyer, brothers and sisters, unmasks all of us when Jesus urged him to do what he knows about God. What his experience about God says, and not that simple ten rules to go and to live by. But the lawyer, like many of us, wanted to be selective in showing his love. Maybe his thinking, which was so much like ours, like it, that it's frightening, was that it was only this close group of those who were true believers, only those who were not sinners, who looked like us and, and lived like us, those who behaved like us, or at least pretend to know how to behave, and those who vote like us at least not sinners and tax collectors and beggars and prostitutes and gay and lesbian and other deviants were worthy of receiving our love. Because, see, we and our righteousness often becomes the measure of what God wants for all people. In response to the exchange for the lawyer, Jesus then told the story of a traveler who was attacked by robbers and left next to the road to die. And he chose a priest and a Levite, church people, people who worked and served in the temple in Jerusalem and in the synagogues. And those who know about God and those who worship God and love God, I think, people who knew the same law that the lawyer did, and they decided for some perfectly legal reason not to help the wounded man. Maybe it was a religious reason not to get desecrated for religious reasons. You couldn't touch a body or someone who was very sick when you were on your way to the temple. Or because of a time constraint, Levites had to serve in the temple at specific times. But they all had perfectly legal reasons not to go and to help that man next to the road. 
And then came the Samaritan. And I can promise you that Jesus never called the Samaritan good because that would just invite the people to really laugh at him. You see, the Jews could never bring them to think of the Samaritans as anything good. It was a later editor who put this nice title about our story. However, we all know the story well. And we know that Jesus turned the question on its head. The lawyer asked him, who is my neighbor? And Jesus returned the question by asking, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And I think this is the foundational question for the church of Jesus Christ. Foundational question for every one of us this morning. To everyone who calls themselves a Christian. Do we allow other people to be our neighbors? Or do we exclude everyone outside of our circle? Luke is not done with us at this point. He tells a story which may cause a lot of consternation and hurt. We read about the visit of Jesus with the two sisters. When Luke tells us that Jesus entered a certain village, we remember a few weeks ago Jesus entered another village, the village of the Samaritans, where he wasn't received. But in this story this morning, it seems on the surface that Jesus is favoring one of the sisters, the one doing nothing, but who was sitting at his feet, and that he reprimanded the other sister for being worried about the wrong things. And the Marthas of our society and in our church, they would do so many tasks of organizing and cooking and preparing for guests and their family, also being busy in the church, assembling benches and, and those other chairs. They find themselves in a double bind as it is expected of them to do what traditionally was known as women's work, and they hear Jesus say that this is not the better part. Just one or two remarks about this. We cannot get by without all the Marthas in our lives and our world. A multitude of people, brothers and sisters, both men and women, in our world and church, gladly jump out and get the work done that needs to get done. Mary, Luke points out, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And here is the key. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is an idiomatic expression for being a disciple. She is attentive to what Jesus is saying and what he is bringing, and as such, she is drawn into the fellowship and the abundant life which Jesus offers. So this story is not about what is better, whether working or sitting is the best, but about a woman who was a disciple. And the better part then is to be attentive to God's word which was enfleshed in Jesus the Christ. In other words, for us to be attentive to Jesus and the, and the words that he spoke and the way that he brought to us to live. Be attentive to God's word even in the midst of doing the mundane and the un 
important or the important tasks. So Martha, busy organizing her house and fulfilling a duty to her guest, for a moment became resentful of her sister. She lost focus. And I hope you saw how she turned onto Jesus, not on her sister. Lord, say something to her. She must come help me. For a moment, she forgot who the guest was and where the guest was going. Maybe the same as the Levite and the priest who forgot that their duties were not limited to the temple only. And we all know how easy it is for us to forget why we are church. Why has God called us to be Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church or be a believer in this world? Often we are an organization and we run our business as any other enterprise. And we forget that Jesus the Christ is the head of the body, the church, that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to our first place in everything. And in the end, we are so happy if our church are organized well and if everything is in the place. But we miss this part, that it's about the head of the church who has called us and who has first in everything. And maybe Jesus was not reprimanding Martha, but maybe he was urging her not to miss the moments when God's grace bursts through the cover of our everyday life. When the grace of God comes through the duties that we do to surprise us with how deep God's love and tenderness of God's grace is for us. I always wonder if Jesus had to tell the story further of the, the parable of the man next to the road, whether he discovered and recognized God in the care of the despised Samaritan, or did the lawyer see himself in the, not the Samaritan, but did he see himself in that man next to the road who needed to be picked up and to be cared for? And did he learn what it meant to be, no, to have a neighbor? And did he go to do likewise? So who then is our neighbor? Who then are we withholding the grace from to be a neighbor to us? Are we neighbors to everyone that we meet? Or do we miss our neighbors in our enthusiasm to serve those who are worse off than us and just give them something? And do we miss, brothers and sisters, the fact that we have neighbors in other people and that we have to be neighbors to other people because we are so independent and righteous? question to me is whether we and you can be a neighbor to someone who was wounded by our behavior during the past few years. Will we continue to miss many people who are our neighbors 
in our zeal to keep God and our religion and everything pure. Who then is our neighbor? It depends on who Jesus is to you. Amen.